You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jeff Saladin, and I serve as one of the lay elders here at Citizens Church, and it's so great to be with you this morning, and I'm super excited because this is Family Worship Weekend, baby, which is fantastic. So here's what I'd like to do to kick us off. If you are fifth grade or younger, I would love to have you stand up, fifth grade or younger. Feel free to stand on your chair if that's cool with your folks, but uh, yeah, you guys, you guys are fine. Uh, fifth grade or younger, let me talk to you guys real quick before we get going here this morning. I want you guys to know, this is coming from the elder board right here, baby. I want you guys to know how much we love you and how thankful we are for you guys. Our church does not just exist for a bunch of grown-ups, okay? Our church exists for you and for us together. We need you. And if I may be so bold, you need us too, right? The Lord has given us to each other. And I'm so thankful for you. We're so thankful that you're here. And I want you to know that we, we think about you a lot. We pray for you, right? We spend time trying to you know, put together Bible studies and stuff that will bless you and point you to Jesus. And we're so thankful that you're here today. So church, let's, uh, let's give our young ones a round of applause this morning. All right, you guys go ahead and have a seat. Uh, we've already late and read us Psalm 112, which is so awesome. All right. Uh, but open your Bibles to Psalm 112. We're going to be making our way through all 10 verses this morning. And as you open it up today, I want to tell you about one of my favorite books from when I was in fourth grade. When I was in fourth grade, I, I rode my bike to the, the La Mirada Public Library in Southern California, where I'm from, and I checked out a book called My Side of the Mountain. And I don't know how many of maybe the adults in the room read that book when they were young, or maybe some of the kiddos. I know at least one of mine back there, Jack, read that book. He's loved that book. And I loved that book myself as a kid. It's a story about this boy named Sam who is growing up in New York City. And he's in a very cramped apartment with, I think, seven or eight brothers and sisters. And he hears that his grandparents have this farm up in upstate New York. And so it's a story about how he, he leaves home. Don't do this. Don't do this, everybody. But it's a story about how he leaves home to go see his grandparents' farm, never quite gets there, ends up living in the woods all by himself. And he's got it. And I, I, I love the story as a kid because I'm a sucker for anything in the woods. I love backpacking. I love camping. I love hiking. My son Luke and I did a 50-mile backpacking trip earlier this summer. I love that stuff. And I'm reading about Sam making his way in the woods. He had to catch his own food. He had to make his own clothes. He had to build a shelter. He had to survive through the wintertime, right? And I love the story, not only because it was a bunch of outdoorsy stuff, but also because I loved reading about how a 12-year-old engaged with the difficulties and the struggles in front of him. It was hard, it's hard to live in the woods when you're 12 and you're all alone. It'd be hard when you're 48 to live in the woods and when you're all alone, right? But I loved reading about the challenges that he faced. He faced danger and difficulty and disappointments and some things went well and a lot of things went bad and it's, it's an adventure story, right? But here's the thing. As I've grown older, what I've realized is you don't have to go live by yourself in the woods to encounter difficulty, right? Difficulty seems to follow us wherever we go. We live in a, in a, in a Genesis 3 world, right, where, where we, just like Adam and Eve, we rejected the Lord and that, you know, sin entered the world and, and we're having to deal with this, right? So, so, so we, we don't have to go do crazy things to, to, to encounter 
difficulty. And if you just look at our, our culture, right, if we, we, just, we just commemorated 20 years since September 11th, right? Think about everything, all the things we've been through as a culture during that time. I mean, three wars, right? Two wars, three recessions, a global pandemic, right? We've, we've, we've encountered, we've, we've endured a lot as a culture. And, and in addition to that, as individuals, we've gone through a bunch of crazy stuff, right? Some of us have battered, battled disease and, and economic hardship. And, and, you know, a lot of us ended up, ended up living in Texas and we didn't plan on it, right? There's a lot of that going on, right? We, we've, we've encountered all types of, of, of unexpected and sometimes difficult things. And here's the thing, guys, that's not going to end anytime soon. Until the Lord returns or until we go to see him, right, we can expect that there's going to be difficulty for us, right? If you're old enough to remember an old Kenny Loggins song called Highway to the Danger Zone, right? Sometimes it feels like that's what our life is like. We're on this highway to the danger zone, right? But it's, it's, it's true. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I mean, how do we respond to that, right? I mean, that's the question. How do we respond to the reality that we're facing difficulty? What should our life look like? How, how should we pray through that? How should we, how should we you know, what, how does that shape our expectations? Well, I came across Psalm 112 a couple of years ago in my own prayer time. And this has been one of my favorite Psalms for years that I have gone back to time and time again. It's a roadmap for Show, where the Lord shows us how to engage with difficulty. And so we're going to walk through that this morning. And as I break down the chapter, all 10 verses, as I break it down, I want to make two points of instruction. Okay, there's two points of instruction and three implications for us that come out of that instruction. Okay, so two points of instruction and three implications, three observations about what we can expect. So point number one is this. When we face difficulty, what should we do? We should fear the Lord, right? Verse 1 says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? What even does that mean, right? It's a very strange concept for us. Because if we're trying to understand that, we got to look to our culture and, and how we've been trained and, and think through how we feel about emotion, right? Fear is an emotion. What does our culture say about that, right? We've, we've only ever pretty much been trained that, that fear is bad, right? And, and I, I remember when I was a kid, growing up out west, there was a brand, a clothing, a brand of clothing called No Fear, No Fear Gear. And I don't know if that ever made it all the way out here to Texas, right? But, but where I was growing up, I had this t-shirt said, no fear, in like these crazy letters. And so apparently, if you take that at face value, you're, you're just supposed to avoid your fear, I guess, right? It's like you have this emotion. It's like, ugh, push that away. And I guess it's telling us just, just, to, just to will our way forward, right? No fear. Okay, so we're, 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 we're told by our culture, on one hand, to avoid the emotions that we face. Then on the other hand, we watch a bunch of movies Right, you, you know, in, in some movies, someone feels some, some emotion towards someone. That, you know, we're told just to run to that. Just, just embrace it. Just avoid all the commitments you've already made to go, to go embrace this person because you feel a certain way towards him or her. So at best, our culture is conflicted on emotion. We're told to avoid it on one hand. We're told to engage every one of them on the other hand. So our culture might not be super helpful as we look to 
answer the question, what is the fear of the Lord? One commentary I read describes it as reverent love, right? Love that is respectful and serious. And I think that's a good definition, but I put together my own that I, that I like. Uh, and that's this, that the fear of the Lord is emotional amazement. It's emotional. It's being amazed at something that hits you super, super deep. And so maybe, maybe again, I, I've already told you, I love being in the outdoors. I love being in nature. I love being all that kind of thing. And so I don't know if you've ever stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon, right? It is unbelievably beautiful. A couple of years ago, we and the, the family we were driving back from California and, you know, we're driving in the car and, 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 you know, the kids are making fun of their dad, you know, and we're, we're talking, doing all the regular car stuff. And we pulled off to the Grand Canyon and the minute we walked out to the edge, immediately everybody got silent because it's just unbelievably beautiful. It's beyond our normal experience. I've been down to the Amazon jungle three different times in my life, been down there on a couple of mission trips through our church here. And I don't know if you've ever stood at the edge of that river. There's parts of it you can't even see across. It's an incredible thing. You get weak need just standing there on the edge of this incredible, incredible river, right? You're emotionally amazed. And to fear the Lord is to be amazed at who he is. To fear the Lord is to have your emotions stirred by his character. He is good. He is sovereign. He's in control. He's not surprised. He's wealthy. He's caring. He carved the Grand Canyon. He is just. He heals. He's the God of the universe. His character should lead us to be emotionally amazed at who he is. And sometimes I think of, I think of our emotions in terms of economic terms, right? It's almost as if, let's say, you know, you have, you have 100 emotion credits in your life. Let's say you're limited to 100 emotion credits. The fear of the Lord means you're going to spend that on him. You're going to spend your emotional credits on him. There will be other things that compete for your emotions. There will be worries and anxieties and things you got to figure out. Yeah, all that's there. But to fear the Lord means, hey, I'm going I'm to spend my emotions on him. You're going to allocate your emotional energy to being amazed at who he is. So when we face dangerous, difficult things, step one is to fear the Lord. But it's not the only instruction here. Let's look at verse one again. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and what? Who greatly delights in his commandments. So point number two is to delight in his commandments. Now what does that mean? Again, if we look to our culture or if we look into our own hearts, I think it's pretty safe to say we, we don't like being told what to do, right? We, we, we don't like when someone else commands us. We don't like the idea that we're not in control. We, we, we don't like that. But at the same time, when we look at movies, when we look at athletes, we love people who appear to be in control. That's why we love the Marvel movies so much, right? Ant-Man and Iron Man and all the rest of the men and a couple ladies I think are in there too. I, I have, I've only seen like two of those movies. But, but we love these superheroes, I think, because they're in command. We, we love watching Tom Brady and LeBron James because they're in command. They command their circumstances. But here's the deal. Hear me. We're not in command. We're, we're, 
We're not. We run around, and myself included, this is like autobiographical here, folks. Myself included, we run around thinking we're in command. We think we know how the country should be run and how our money should be managed, and we think we know this and that and all these things. But most of the time, we just don't know, right? We don't know what to do most of the time. But friends, there's good news. There's good news. The good news is this. The Lord is in command. He knows what to do. And he's given us commandments. He's given us instructions. He's told us what to do. The instruction of this psalm is to delight in what he's told us to do. It's to delight in his commandments, right? We think that, these, we think that the, what the Lord's instruction is not relevant to us because we, we think we know what we're doing, but we don't, right? But we've been given the rule book by a loving, gracious God, when I was growing up, I played a lot of football. From third grade all the way through college, I played football, and I had a lot of really bad coaches, a lot of really bad ones. I had a couple of good ones, but I had one great one. My senior year in high school, we went 12-2, and baby, and we won the California State Championship, right? I got to tell you, I had 10 sacks from the defensive tackle position. Not an easy thing to do, but I did it. And we won, we won the championship. Now, here's the deal. I had a lot of coaches through the years that were super wishy-washy. You didn't know whether they were in command or not. You didn't know what the rules were. You didn't really know where you, where you stood, right? My senior year, Bert Esposito was my coach. He's still coaching out west. It was his first year, and, and, and first year coaching as a head coach. And let me tell you something. You knew exactly where you stood. You knew exactly what to do. Right? He, was, he was in command, and he had commandments, and baby, you, you, you fall. He, he was Nick Saban before Nick Saban was cool. I mean, he was, he was just a man, a fearsome, fearsome man. But we loved his commandments. We loved his commandments. Why? Because, number one, he loved us. He loved us. It was clear he loved us. And number two, guess what? We followed his commandments. We won football games. And we, we, we built a camaraderie around our team, right? The Lord is not dissimilar. He has commands, and they help us. So, friends, let us delight in his, commands, in his commandments. When you're tempted, not if, but when you're tempted, let your hearts be stirred by affection for his commandments, right? Open your Bibles. Read the Ten Commandments. Read the Beatitudes. Grab a podcast from Jamin on the Sermon on the Mount, right? Spend time in the Word. Love his Commandments. So what do we do when we face the danger zone? We fear the Lord and we love his commandments. So if we do those things, what can we expect? Three things that this chapter says we can expect. Number one, when we fear the Lord and delight in his commandments, our families are blessed right? Read this, verses 2 and 3. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever, okay? Parents, you want to be good parents? Kids, you want to be good kids? Don't answer that. No, I'm just kidding. No, you want, you know, you want to do your job well, okay? Fear the Lord, Delight in his commandments, right, parents? In your prayer time, get alone. Open the word. Delight in what the Lord has given you. 
pray, worship the Lord in your heart, sing to him, write him a poem, sketch him a picture, right? Be amazed at who he is and then ask that that amazement would overwhelm you and that his goodness would outshine the difficulties that you face, right? I don't know exactly what the Lord's blessing will look like on your family. I don't know. There's twists and turns to all of that, but I'm betting on the gracious God of the universe as I pray and I think about my family. So fear the Lord, delight in his commandments. The second implication is that your organized relationships will be blessed, right? What do I mean by organized relationships? Your business, your neighborhood, your church, right? The the groups you're associated with, right? Read verses 4 and 5. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. Now listen, I'm not guaranteeing that your business is going to take off, right? But the reality is the Lord blesses those who fear him. That's just the reality. I, in my career, I've led teams for many years. I've hired, I've led teams, I've fired, I've merged teams, I've divided, I've, I, I've managed people for a long time. And often team members come into my office and they're facing something very, very, very difficult. And oftentimes they're, they're freaking out, right? 99.9% of the time, they're just, in, they're just running into some kind of difficulty. And I cannot, I, you know, when that person has come in facing difficulty and there's no hope, it's so different than when they come in and they're submitted to the Lord. When they've already allocated their emotional energy to the Lord, now we can just focus on the problem and address the problem, right? Your, your business, your relationships, they will be blessed. They will be blessed if you're submitted to the Lord, if you fear his name and delight in his commandments. So I promise you, you'll be a better employee. I promise you. The third implication, and this is my favorite, when we face danger, we don't have to be afraid. Verses 6 and 7. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Verse 7, listen to this, underline it. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Friends, this is good news. We don't have to be afraid. What is our culture right now? Honestly, and this is me too. What is our culture right now but a bunch of people running around afraid of something? The next thing that's going to fall, the next this, the next that, the next whatever, right? right? We don't have to be afraid. We have the gracious God of the universe who created us, and he sent his son to die for us. He sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, right? Let us fear his name. Let us be emotionally amazed at who he is, and let's delight in what he has given us. What terror can befall us if we're walking hand-in-hand hand with the gracious God of the universe. So in closing, our series has been about how the Psalms impact our prayer life, right? So how does this Psalm, how does Psalm 112 impact our prayer life? I think it comes back to three words. Three words 
at the top of the chapter, 112 verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This psalm should inform our prayer life in such a way that we just want to worship him. We want to worship him. He's a loving father. He knows what we're enduring. He's made a way for us, and he's beyond the circumstances that we face. So church, church, let us fear his name. Let our emotions be stirred by his goodness. He loves us. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We're thankful for you. And we are here, Lord, because of you, Father. It's true. It's all true. You created this universe in love. We rejected you, but you sent your son who walked this earth. And, 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 and you loved us. And although we crucified him, he defeated death. And then you sent your Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And we're so thankful. So thankful, Lord. Praise your name. May we be a people who've allocated our emotional resources toward you. We love you. In Jesus' name.